everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this much-anticipated interview with our number one New York Times bestselling author, Susan Mallory. We will explore her prolific and award-winning career and her 21st century writing and publication experiences. We're pleased you're with us today. We have participants in Zoom and Clubhouse, as well as listeners on ACB Media and our podcast feed. Get ready for another episode full of learning, laughter, and new ideas for readers and writers. So put on your favorite earbuds and prepare for this listening adventure with your fellow bibliophiles at Writing Works Wonders. I'm Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hi, everybody. And I have such a talented co-host and friend, and I'm so glad to be here and be here with Kathy and all of you. So we're so pleased to introduce you to Susan Mallory. Let me read a little bit of an introduction about her. As I mentioned, she's the number one New York Times bestselling author of novels about the relationships that define women's lives, family, friendship, romance. Library Journal says, Mallory is the master of blending emotional, believable characters in realistic situations. And readers seem to agree. 40 million copies of her books have been sold worldwide. Yes, you heard that right. 40 million. Her warm, humorous stories make the world a happier place to live. Susan grew up in California and now lives in Seattle with her husband. She's passionate about animal welfare especially that of the ragdoll cat and adorable poodle with, who think of her as mom. And I know that she has one of her cats sitting in on the podcast call with us. <laughs> Over to you, Cheryl. Okay. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, Susan. I'm so glad you're here with us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Can you describe before we start what your cat looks like? You said a ragdoll cat. Is that what it's called? Ragdoll. Yeah, it's an American breed. It's a lot of health issues, but they're very attractive. Um, mm -hmm. He's sort of a creamy color. He's got the sort of seal point Siamese markings, big blue mm -hmm. eyes, incredibly fluffy. He's got a double coat. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got a swagger. He's, they're very chill. He's a very chill cat. When somebody comes over, he walks out meowing, flops on his back so they can rub his belly. So <laughs> in that respect, he is different than your normal skittish cat. When I take him to, I have to take him somewhere in his cat carrier, I open the carrier and he walks in. On the other hand, he meows a lot and he's big. He's over 13 pounds. So he's very, very loud. So at three in the morning, it is unpleasant. So when he's like, hey, mom, I just peed, wanted you to know. It's like, thank you. Thank you for we all go back to sleep. <laughs> uh, thank you for describing your kitty to us. We appreciate that. Thank you so much for creating a video clip for us to promote you here on Writing Works Wonders. What struck me, because I have enough vision to see you, you 
acted as if you're as excited as you were the first time you published a book. Is that how you feel every time a new book comes to you in print? It is. It's there is <laughs> it, it is quite the thrill to open the box and see the physical books and touch them and because when they send the cover, it's everything is digital and to see it on a flat screen and then to see it in life are not the same thing. You know, is there embossing, which you can feel um, it's now a real book. It's a thing as opposed to just a digital file. And one of the things I was just talking to a writer friend about this. So back in the day, years and years ago, when I first started writing, you actually sent in a physical manuscript Mm -hmm. And when you got a copy edit or a line, it, it came, the physical manuscript went back and forth. And so, but I remember when I would finish a book, I would, I would send it FedEx and I had a FedEx drop off that I went to and it was like the mailbox one. I, I didn't go in the store. It was early. I didn't look very good. So I, I, I stayed outdoors, but I remember cause I'd like to, send them early in the day because there was nothing else in in the receptacle and the thunk of a four or five hundred pound manuscript <laughs> hitting the bottom it was such a sound and it was the sound of I have finished it was a sound of <laughs> I love that and I have to say I love the digital and the back and forth and all of that but I do miss that physical sound because it was it was now I'm done I mean, not really, because there was editing and all that crap, but mm. I had sent the book and the audible thunking sound is, I do remember it. And I, I confess, I missed that. I should probably mm. get somebody technical to, that I can do that as a, as a something on my, my keyboard where it will make the thunking sound. <laughs> that was very satisfying. Uh And many of us can understand that because there's other things in our lives that we miss. Thank you for that. You were in college working on your accounting degree. I believe you were in your second year, right? When you decided, knew your passion was to be a writer. Yeah, I was actually in my third year. I was 18 months from graduating when I figured out, oh my gosh, I really want to be a writer. And they have nothing in common where I went to school, I went to Cal State Northridge, the accounting degree, it's, it's a business degree with an accounting emphasis. And from my last two years, I never left Sierra South, the building, all my classes were in that building. I only took business accounting. I took one elective. I needed a poli sci class. That's literally all I did. Um, so there was none of this liberal arts. I got to step, no, you just study business. So discovering the writing, it was quite the dilemma in my life because I hadn't realized what it was to find your passion until it happened. I think it's like, if you're not sure if you've fallen in love, if you're not sure, then you probably haven't because when you do, you know, so I found my passion and it's like, well, now I was, you know, what, what, what am I going to do? So I decided to finish my degree because it seemed important. And I wasn't sure about this writing thing because I was so incredibly normal perhaps psychically weird, but, you know, on the surface, I lived a very ordinary life. I grew up in Burbank, California. I I didn't live somewhere exotic. I didn't read Milton in my free time. You know, I was just a normal person. So <laughs> I, I did decide to finish the accounting degree, but I ended up not going into the business. As I wrote more and more and more, it became pretty clear that 
accounting was not for me, but I went right up to the edge. I went to, I had a job offer when I graduated that I didn't, I ended up not taking, but that's how close I got. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, and, and it was challenging, but it was in a way it was really good. It was good to discover this in college because when you're in school, you are, your brain is trained to learn. And so I, in my free time on weekends, and I was in Southern California, and there's a thousand writing opportunities. There's, there's the screenwriter skill gives classes for non-members, the, um, the UCLA extension, all these out of work screenwriters do seminars. So I was able to go to as many as I could afford. That was sort of what I spent my money on rather than, you know, meat or hang out clothes. <laughs> I went to these seminars. I was able to go, I could go to a three-day seminar and just soak it up like a sponge. Whereas today I would be lucky to get to the first break before going to a Starbucks and wandering away and just never being seen again, because the thought mm-hmm. of sitting through a three-day seminar makes me, I just, my brain couldn't do it. But back yeah. then I could just absorb everything. So it was, mm-hmm. it was very fortuitous that I was in that place and had the experience of realizing what I wanted to do and had this amazing opportunity of being able to take all these classes. So very helpful. One of the things that finishing my degree gave me, which I didn't get at the time, I just, I did it because I just wasn't sure. And then as I got closer and closer, it seemed, why not do it? Why not just take Mm -hmm. those last classes, get the actual degree, because then I will always have this. No one can take the degree Mm -hmm. away from me, whether or not I've used it. But Mm -hmm. years later, I realized that I really didn't have an education in things that I wish I had. I wish I'd taken more English. I wish, I wish I'd had a liberal arts degree, but I didn't. So I went back and got my master's in writing popular fiction. And I would not have been able to do that if I hadn't had the degree in the first place. And by taking that, um, it was a combination. It was uh, online. And then you went to a residency twice a year. Through that, I met wonderful people. But the person who matters most to me is I met my a wonderful friend in my life, someone I depend on and care about very deeply, but who is also my virtual assistant, Janelle. She and I went through that class together. And oh, if I hadn't finished my degree and gone to Seton Hill and taken that program, I would never have met her. And I just can't imagine not having her in my life. So an unexpected but amazing consequence of finishing. Everything has a cost. It is very difficult. It would be down to circumstance. And one of the reasons I did want to finish was because I had no clue if the writing thing was going to work and if I was going to have to get a quote unquote real job. Many of us prefer our days when we can eat and have shelter. (laughs) So sometimes, sometimes the decision is made out of necessity rather than passion. Thank you. And I'll turn it back to Kathy. Absolutely. Uh, I can see those decisions and it's good to have a backup plan, uh, which is part of what you're describing. And I had a similar situation in my education. I realized near about the same point, it wasn't the direction I wanted to go to, but I finished the bachelor's anyway. And that enabled me to go on into a master's and then a doctoral program in the direction I wanted to but you need that first step completed. So yeah, and it's great that you found your passion. Isn't it great to work in an area that's your passion? Oh, absolutely. I I can't imagine. I don't understand not being a storyteller. And I never knew I wasn't. I was a storyteller and other people weren't. And I can remember being 
really young, like seven or eight, and at a friend's house playing Barbie. And I'm like, okay, so I'm, and we actually had a trusty doll because we were, you know, very cutting edge. And um, so I'm like, I'm going to do Barbie, you do trusty. And she's like, well, I don't, you do both voices. It's like, no, 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 that's not fun. I'll do one, you do the other. She's like, I don't know what to say. It's like, you just say what comes next. There's no magic here. It's just, <laughs> you say what comes next. And she's like, I don't know what comes next. And I remember <laughs> sitting there thinking, I don't know if she's dumb or if she's just being uncooperative. But it, it's just in my little seven or eight year old brain, I could not grasp that she couldn't just tell the story because it was very obvious to me there was the story we were going to tell, whatever our little Barbie trusty story was. So I, I don't know what people, I just don't understand. I know people, not everyone's a storyteller. I get that intellectually, but in my bone marrow, I feel bad because being a storyteller is just, it's very magical and it is such a part of my life and who I am. It's like, don't ask me something because I will tell it in stories. a large part of this group assembled here understands that susan (laughs) we know at least one of your books has had the movie rights purchase did that experience meet your expectations it was fun Uh, marry me at christmas was oh sorry purchased by hallmark which was very exciting i loved the book i will just tell you no they really don't care what i think or any author thinks they take your book, they send you a check and they thank you. And then you're done. So no consultation, none of that. I'm sure Twilight got, you know, she had some consultation, but for the rest of us, not so much on the movies. So I was invited to go see the set. Unfortunately, we had a brand new puppy and my husband's like, you are not leaving me with a 10 week old puppy. And we couldn't take the puppy with us. So I was not able to go to the set because it's the it's literally the dog's fault. Um, and then when the <laughs> movie, they were going to send me a copy and it was delayed and delayed. And I emailed the producer and he's like, oh, they're very happy with how it came out. So they put a little money into it in post-production. And I'm like, so you'll get it in a few weeks. And I'm like, what? It's not Star Wars. What? And then I thought, oh, my God, they're putting in snow. So I was very excited. And then they sent me a copy and I still have the the DVD they sent, which has a watermark through the entire thing, but I'm fine. I still watch it. And so, yeah, it was very exciting. And then when I saw the movie, they changed it some, but it was fun and everybody's adorable. And the heroine has A, the best hair and B, the best coat wardrobe ever. So I was, <laughs> I was delighted. Oh yeah. No, her coats were stunning. Every scene is a new coat. It's like I have my lightweight coat, my medium weight coat, my heavyweight coat. I do not have this coat wardrobe assortment. You'd need like another house to store them in, but it was fun. I loved it. I thought it was great. Watch it every year. Only an author would notice that kind of detail. The author of the book, I think, or a wardrobe person. So what do you have any advice to other authors regarding movie rights, given your experience? Have a good agent. When they option your book, don't make big plans. It's usually when they option to go shop it, it's usually a dollar and your agent takes their cut of that. (laughs) So it's 85 cents. And then when they go into production, then you start to, then they start to pay. It's not a lot of money at this level. It's just not, but it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful to have the movie. I think it's fun to see your name scroll by 
based on a novel by, I mean, these are the, you know, it's the little things that are the unexpected thrills. And, you know, if there's somebody you don't like at your high school reunion, you could do the catty thing of, oh, how many movies have you made work from yeah. your work? Feel free to round up. So, yeah, it's it's all that. It's just, it was fun. It was adorable. And I, yes, I could not be more delighted. Excellent. Thank you. Since you started your writing career, a lot has happened in the publishing world. My goodness. I, I mean, we have not experienced such change in the last 20 years and since the Gutenberg press. I mean, you know, come on, this is crazy stuff. How have you adapted in the midst of this? What sort of things have, how, how have you coped and how do you think your process and your publishing, how have you adapted with it? Besides your clunk. <laughs> yeah, besides <laughs> missing the clunk. clunk. It's probably better, but yeah. My writing process has evolved, but it hasn't changed. It's just, I write how I write. I, I know there are people out there doing incredibly well writing a book every three to four weeks. I don't know how they do. I know the books are shorter, but I, I don't know how they do that. I don't think that way. I could come up with that many ideas. If I did, they would be very good. So I, my first book was published in the early nineties and it was a very different world. And as publishing has evolved in some ways, the author can have a lot more control in other ways. Having that much control just means you have a second full-time job. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how people do that because I know what my skill sets are. I am very clear on what I'm good at. And I am not good at everything else. And so to have to do it all, I find those people are very impressive and they must get very little sleep. So I think in some ways it's more complicated now because when I started, you, you sent a letter to a query letter to an agent or, or directly to the publisher, or you met somebody at a conference or that's how you got in. But now your first question is, do I want to traditionally publish or do I want to self-publish? And if you go the self-publish or, or, and if you are going to go traditional, are you going big press, you know, a big publisher like a random house or Harper Collins, or are you going to a smaller press and, or again, are you going to do it yourself? And there are advantages and disadvantages to all of that. And I think a lot of it, should be dependent on personality because for people who want to keep complete control, now you can. For people like me who are just want to write, all I want to do is write. Everything else is is not what I want to do with my day. I want to write my book. That's the best part for me. So traditional publishing works really well because there are things that I do, but compared to someone who self-publishes, it's like nothing. Um, so it has been an interesting evolution. And, you know, there was a time as we were really just transitioning when these people pulled out their backlist and were making millions of dollars, I will confess to bitterness that went away very quickly. And one of the problems I think for anyone publishing today is how do you get noticed? How do you find an audience? Mm-hmm. And we've, we've really lost the browse factor. We used to all go to mm-hmm. Walden books and spend an hour browsing what's new and that cover looks interesting or that title looks good or you know they're tucked next to Nora Roberts so you pick it up anyway I mean one of the great thrills for me was I 
M-A-L. So I'm very close to Debbie Maycomber. So it's like, and you can pick us up too. In fact, it's funny at writing conferences when I was new, not a big line or no line or just tragic nothingness talking to the authors next to me, but like four authors down was Debbie and she had this huge line. So I would get up and I would bend the line. I'm, oh, excuse me, you can't be here. You've got to turn. So now they were in front of our table and we could talk to them. And we could sell <laughs> Debbie audience. So yes, I've done that a time or two. So it, it has been an evolution. It is very hard. As I said, the biggest thing is to get an audience. And I can remember when I started, it was all about your print run, how many books you had in stores, because that's all you have. And now everyone basically has a billion book print run because digitally it doesn't matter. Yep. Your thing is printed as many. So those of us who complained, oh, if only I had a bigger print run, I would be more successful. Now it's God's way of saying not so much, huh? So it's, it is a challenge. And I mean, there's the, the lightning strikes like Colleen Hoover with her TikTok fans and, and how incredibly well she's done. That cannot be duplicated because those women are genuinely sobbing on TikTok. So you can't, that's not a campaign ad that can be copied. So yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. I'm very grateful. I I have an audience. They have been very sweet to me, but it, it is an ongoing challenge. So and Susan, build, building off that, I, I wanted to pursue that a little because that you you have a unique audience. You have a unique focus in your books that are, are different. Um, they're described as women's literature, relationships, daily life, what brought you to that area? If you go back and read some of my older books, when I started in category. I wrote for Silhouette Special Edition when I first was, I wrote a couple of historicals, but let's not talk about those. <laughs> so I mostly was writing in Special Edition. <laughs> and one of the differences between, say, Special Edition and some of the other category lines is the relationships in Special Edition are a little bit more female-centric and not so much with the alpha males. I just, I just could never write an alpha male. I tried, but especially in the nineties, there's a little bit of, they're very edgy. There's almost, I don't want to say there's a meanness to them, but there's an aggressive quality that I would have trouble tolerating in real life. So it's difficult. <laughs> it was difficult for me to, uh, to, to, capture that. So I stayed in special edition. And one day I, I would study the books. When I first started writing, I would read all the specials. There were six a month and I would read all six and I would break them down what they were about. And then I would go look at the Walden's list and see who sold the best and then look at my notes and try to figure out why, what are they doing that is making this book successful? Why does this book resonate with readers? Is it the title? Is it an auto automatic buy? Is it the subject matter? Is it the cover? And to try to learn um, and find out what I was doing in about three or four years in, I decided to do a study of what I wrote. And I realized 90% of my books start in the female point of view. They don't start in the male point of view, which was very unusual for romance. And it's funny because the people I like to read were super alpha male writers. I still remember the classic um, Linda Howard, McKinsey's Mountain starts with he needed a woman bad. And it's like the greatest opening line. I could never do that. 
I tried and completely smitten. I start with something similar. It's my sad little attempt to write like Linda Howard and I failed and I was actually, I was going to tease, I was punished for it, but I was not. Um, And so I learned that I really do write female centric books. So as I started working towards writing single title rather than category books, bigger books, more complex, more going on, more storyline in a single book, they became more female centric the more I did this. And so transitioning towards a women's fiction was very natural for me um, as I kept wanting to do a little bit more and challenge myself um, and try something new. I still almost always start in the female point of view in my hardcovers, I'll have male and female point of view, but in my trade books, not the Christmas books, but the regular trade books, there's actually no male point of view at all. And so I really am trying to write about women in their lives. And it, it's, it was just a very natural evolution. Having said that, I get to go back and write in the hardcovers. I get to put in, you know, a, my traditional romance. So the guys get to talk and they have some things to say. If they get a little mouthy, I have a I have ultimate control. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we really appreciate that. And I love how you explain your development and how you did a, I would call it a qualitative study of your work and then embraced what your strengths were. It's really Mm -hmm. wonderful to hear that. And I think there's a lot of lessons for writers. And I know uh, we as readers love hearing how, you embraced your strengths. Thank you so much for that, Susan. And Cheryl, I wonder if we should be going over yeah, the questions. So absolutely. Yeah. We'll turn this over to Chanel now and let her do the Q&A. All right. First up, we have Carol Mackey. We know that question. <laughs> <laughs> you can okay. laugh at me all you like, but I may take an hour with, with Susan. I just, I'm going to try and be really good, though. Um, first of all, Susan, I've been on a Susan Mallory binge recently. I can't say I've read all 90 of your books, but probably a portion of them. And as a blind person holding the book, I understand the clunk. Absolutely. As, as I listen to audio now, that question is really a process. I love your humor, too, incidentally. Um, uh, what's your process? Do you write every day? Do you have a specific time you write? Um and that I'm always just so impressed with that the fact of the the getting that job done, and I wondered how you do that. What's your process of the of the daily writing of the weekly whatever? I do a page count. I can't do a word count because you know the numbers get too big. My books are end up being about 118,000 words. So once you get past the big numbers of trying to add 3,000, I write about 3,000 words a day. So I do a page count. I try to write about 15 pages a day. Once it takes me a month to get to the point where I start writing. So I do a lot of work uh, getting to know the characters. I plot. I am a plotter. I plot the book out completely from beginning to end because it allows me to focus on what I'm doing that day and not worry where the plot's going. So I want to do a deep dive every day into that scene or scenes that I'm writing and the plotting allows me to do that. So I usually set a goal for depending on the book between 60 and 75 pages a week. And then I try to do between 12 and 15 pages a day. I don't work on Sundays. And if I have a good week, I don't work on Saturdays. And if I have things going on like, And I am a morning writer. So like this morning, 
um, was spent getting ready, but it's okay because I also have the overall goal. So if my daily goal isn't met, as long as my weekly goal is met, then I know I'll be okay. I write a lot of books. I am on deadline um, all the time. So there's no mucking around. It's one of the reasons I don't think I could self-publish, ignoring everything else I would be terrible at. I need a deadline to write. If it were up to me, um, I would have the world's most organized paper clips, but nothing on the screen. So I need that external pressure to produce the pages. I can see myself like getting halfway through a book and wondering, because the middle is, as we all know, the most complicated, just because it's long, the longest part. So I need that. I do write on a schedule. Uh, but as I said, morning is best. I come in with my coffee. I try to write five pages before I check email or anything. And then I go back after I've made sure the world is okay. And, and by that, I mean, there's no crisis I have to deal with. Then I go back and I'll finish my pages and then I play. Then I can, then I can hang out with my readers on Facebook and do all the other stuff one does in one's life to keep it moving forward. Next up, we have Viola Benson. Hi, Susan. Hi. I am so thrilled to meet you. I have a rag doll. And I love him. He's our house greeter. And he he thinks that everybody comes to our house to see him. And he's eight years old. Anyway, I love him. Um, we also have a Maine Coon. But, you know, she's completely different. She thinks she rules. My question for you, I have read quite a few, especially your first early Fool's Gold books, which I totally loved completely. Um, and especially when they have animals, like the ones with the elephant and the different, the one with the zoo and everything. Do you have animals that you, that you pa- uh, pattern after, or did you go see a zoo and maybe find an elephant that might be funny? Thank you. Keep writing. Cause we love it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Vicki, the name of the movie is Marry Me at Christmas. Sorry, that was just a comment that popped up. Um, the animals are fun. I love animals. I think animals are important in stories. I think what people do with their animals, how they treat their animals when they're alone with them tells us who they are. So when we can see someone with a pet or a different animal, it speaks to character. And I like that. Um, sometimes I plan them. Sometimes I don't. Many years ago, I would say back in the 90s, um, when I I was writing a book called Tempting Faith and it was a big cat rescue and I was still living in LA and there was a place out in the high desert by Edwards Air Force Base and they kept giant cats like mountain lions and tigers and jaguars. And so I went out there and I walked around and they're huge. I mean, they play with bowling ball. I've always enjoyed putting animals in. Now, a lot of times what I do is, um, well, not Priscilla, the elephant, I will do, I will ask on Facebook and people will give me their pet. I will take somebody's pet. I will take the characteristics. Uh, they'll we'll talk and I will put their pet in because I just have the two and nobody wants to see them over and over again, despite how adorable they are. So for example, in um, the Christmas wedding guest, which was out last Christmas, there's a great dame named Belle. She is a character in this story. She's very significant. She has a huge part. She has a character arc. She grows and changes throughout the story. 
um, she becomes brave because she falls in love with a boy and she has to protect her boy. So she takes on the family. Her, the heroine's parents have a 20 pound dachshund that she's terrified. Belle's 120 pounds. But Belle finally faces Bert down because Bert snaps at her boy. So I just, I love putting animals in. As I said, I think they reveal character. I find them fun. It is rare that I don't put an animal in a book. Uh, I had a book out earlier this year called The Summer Getaway, and there were approximately 16 cats in this giant house, all named after English royalty. Uh, Our favorite was King Charles II. I just think it's fun for me. I think the readers enjoy it. So, and I think pets add a dimension to our life that they, they know. Uh, when things are bad and they want to help as best they can. So it's important to me to do that. But some of it is true research to answer your actual question. I have done research, but no, I will do it. Just, I don't remember how Priscilla came about. It just sort of, I had, no, I had goats. And then I think Priscilla came from what would be fun. Um, I desperately want to write about a parrot named Ramon and he keeps getting cut out of the book because the books are too big already. And Ramon obviously would need his own storyline. So I have yet to figure out one day there will be a parrot named Ramon in my book. Carol, uh, go ahead. Yeah, my question is, In I did read um, Lone, the Lone Star series. And in that, one of your characters um, loses her sight. She does regain it. And I was interested in what research you did in doing that particular, since all of us can relate to that, what you research you did and what in order to develop that character and, and portray her. I did a lot of research. My brother-in-law is also blind. So I have that as a regular basis in my life. So it's a, it's just a part of my life. And uh, we also have a family member who is deaf, hard of hearing. So there's sign language for that. I just thought it's such a vulnerability. and. I like forcing characters to go through difficult situations. And this was, there was such a personality transformation with her and to accept the vulnerability for her. It was just to have to accept help and have hope again. So I think that there was the technical research. And then there's also for me, the quote unquote, the emotional research, which is, if you, if there's an emotion in a book, I have to feel it first. If, if the character's questioning, I had to question first. It's why I will never write a thriller. I don't want to be scared or a horror. I just, I can't watch them in real life. I don't want to think about them. Veil between, and I know this is going to sound totally weird, but a lot of you are writers. So I think you'll get it. There is a, there is a wall or a veil between the conscious and subconscious mind. And I think for writers, it is much thinner. For us and things can bleed across. So I am very careful about how far I will go, not within any story In any story, you've got to go all the way or it's not going to work. You, if you are going to write a story, you have to fully commit to feel all the feels and do whatever needs to be done. The characters have to go through it. You can't pull back. You can't pull your punches, but I'm very careful about what I pick to write about simply because I, there are things I don't want to do. So that was a two-parter. So I did a lot of reading. I, I talked to my brother-in-law. I, um, and then I did a lot of talking about what does it feel like and what is, 
what is the fear? What is the joy? What is the transformation? I like doing that. And, and then it's a romance. So I believe there's kidnapping would be strong. <laughs> there's a, there's kind of a romantic, well, they become romantically involved, but yes, there's sort of a kidnapping slash I give my sister to you, go fix her kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can I ask one more question? I'm fine. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I have 20 she here. Likes to push. Um, she likes to push the I'll edge. I'll push all it, the push. buttons out. Absolutely. Just, just, Love okay, your real, humor. We Love your humor any, in so. it. Okay, um, thanks. And also, um, the, when the, this series particular, this Lone Star was too, well, I had to, I have to say, I was a little pissed at you because I had to go searching for the other characters that were going to be finishing stories in some of the other characters that you developed in this, this book. So I just want to just tell you that that kind of made me mad. Oh, yeah, it, was find a, that. it was a four book right. series. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not yeah. allowed to so, talk to so. our guests like that. Oh, I'm fine with that. No, she's talking to me that I can't talk. I can't. Yeah. All right. I'll be quiet now. Goodbye. I'm teasing. Go ahead. I'm teasing you. I love you. Now, and it's yeah. difficult because it's an older series and sometimes it can be hard to find the books or figure out the order in which they belong together on the website, which of course is text. So it could be problematic, but we do all the series individually and the order they're in and also the original publication date. So it's fairly easy to track, but if you just pick up a book, not just mine, but anybody's and find yourself in the middle of a series, it's like, this is annoying because now you've got to figure <laughs> out where you're going. I mean, which came first, which came second kind of thing. So in that I situation, totally get that. In that situation, Susan, would a uh, best strategy usually be to go to the author's website and look for a master list? That usually is the best way to do it to find out because most authors will tell you the other place is if you've got a good librarian, a lot of times they absolutely will know or look it up. But on Amazon, if it's part of a series, it will usually say, you know, book five of the Rose Sisters series. And then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, great. So now I look up that series. But most of us do our website such that it can it can show the order. And I have a virtual assistant, Janelle, who I mentioned before. So she has organized it so completely you can actually check off the books you've read on mine. Wow. And it will tell you, but the best one is you can do a gift request. So you can make like a wish list and email it to people and say, I want this book in case you were wondering the holidays are upon us or just because I take care of you and you should bring me gifts. This is what I'd like. That's a great one. Well, I've got, I've got a follow-up one to what, what other strategies do you find to be very helpful for pre and post marketing now that we're in the digital age and ebook and websites and e-commerce? That's well, a really thing- great one. I have not heard of um, a personal website for an author, an author's website, having your own wish list that you could push to somebody. That's a new one on me, Susan. Kudos okay. to you. Well, it was actually kudos to Janelle and, and my yeah. Shelly, my web person, they, they do that. I think it is so important. We are now, 
as we get more and more into digital and publishers get bigger and bigger and bigger part of conglomerates, more and more work falls on us. And one of the things that I think we have to pay attention to is two things. Number one, I try to filter everything through, is this going to sell books? Because I love what I do, but you know, I have pets to feed. So everything has to be filtered through, will this help? Will this get other people to see me? Will this get me to new audiences? Or is it just an indulgence and the ability to separate? Or does it just not work? Is And the cost value of it, we don't have infinite budgets. Many of us are working on very small promotional budgets. So every penny has to have value. The other thing is personality. Can you do this? Will it make you crazy? Does it suck the life out of you? And you can't write for three days if you do a Facebook Live. That also is something to look at. I think everybody is different. And so just because something works for a writer friend doesn't mean it's going to work for you. It may not work because it's a different genre. You're at different places in your career or you're different people. I can remember before COVID going on book tour. I love meeting my readers, but book tour is emotionally draining for me. I Mm -hmm. am an introvert. Um, It is difficult for me to meet a lot of people at one time. And I know when I meet a reader, this is an experience for her. This is an emotional experience. She and I have shared something very intimate because we've shared emotion. Um, That's what writing is about, is about creating emotion in someone else. Um, You don't know where or when or the circumstances of your, of their life, what's happened, but you still need to create emotion and that creates quite the bond. And so for me, I knew when I got back from tour, I wasn't going to be writing for at least another week. I'd probably gotten sick and I just have to refill. Other people go on tour and come back like energized. It's Mm -hmm. they're eight years old and they're going to Disneyland and that's how they feel. So they come back and it's their most productive time. So I think it's important that we understand who we are, how we function and what is important to us. For me, the most important thing is the book. And I have the great fortune of having assembled a wonderful supportive team who will handle the logistics of, you know, when I sign 10,000 book plates, I'm not mailing them. Janelle's mailing them because She's going to take care of that for me. When the website needs a spruce, that's not me. That's Janelle and my web person working together and then presenting me with, well, here's what we're thinking for the color palette. I'm very lucky to have that. My talent and my energy and my skill needs to go to one thing, and that is the writing. And everything else is on the periphery. And I've learned to use things like Facebook as a reward. So when you write your pages you get to go read the comments. I want to do it first thing because that's the most fun, but no, my energy has to go where it has to go. And that's to the work. And then everything else gets what's left. And then that has to be, that has to be, you know, doled out. It's every day is sort of like, okay, this has to get done. So that's the second most important thing. And then this is the third most important thing. We are not capable of doing everything all the time. We just, with the possible exception of Brenda Novak, who I think is capable of doing everything all the time. If you, She's a phenomenon, but we can't all be like her. So we have to be careful and I think conserve and do what's important first and do what, it's like when your kids are little, you know, you can't do everything you have to prioritize. And if it's 
the first day of school, the priorities are different than the last day of school. So it's just that it's making, it's being very careful with your priorities. And I, I always feel at the end of the day, if you don't have a book, the next book, then all this other stuff you've done isn't going to matter if your goal was to sell more than one book. Excellent. You know, listening to you over several responses that you shared with us, Susan, that accounting degree served you well. <laughs> I know. It's, it's kind of sad, but it really did make a difference. I get yes, the business yes. side. Yeah, yeah. Hi. Um, I work at the uh, Perkins Talking Book Library. And in fact, I've worked here for almost 38 years. I'm always sending out your books to people on, on tape, you know, on cartridge. Um, they just love them. Uh, I found they're especially like what you've talked about before, which are the animals. And, but I somehow missed the one on about the blind person. I didn't get, I didn't get that. Uh, is there a title to that one? There is a title to that. The amazing Janelle just texted and said it straight from the hip. Oh, isn't she wonderful? She is. She's been very great to communicate with. Thank you. So maybe our excellent close up question, Cheryl, as to what would be suggestion. Susan, you've given some terrific advice for aspiring and experienced authors. But if you could share just one or two things overall, what would you say to our audience of aspiring and experienced authors? Well, the experienced authors know this to be true, but for those of you who are aspiring, here's what I will tell you. The people who are successful are not the most talented. They are the most tenacious. If you don't write the book, you will never sell the book. You will never publish the book. You will never have your writing dreams come true. It, mm-hmm. Nobody cares about your idea. It's about putting your butt in the chair and doing the work because at the end of the day, people want to read the book. And if you haven't written it, it makes it much harder for them. So people who are successful, I have writer friends who are so incredibly brilliant. I mean, I am so envious of their skill, but they won't start the book or finish the book or do it something with the book, which Mm -hmm. is the most frustrating at all. Uh, They just, they won't. And the people you see on the bestseller list are the ones who have not given up. They have done the work and Some days it's easy. Some days it's hard. But when the book is finished, no reader is going to go back and say, wow, so chapter eight, you were really having a bad day. They're not going to know. And you're going to forget unless something really bad happened and an anchoring thing happened. Um, So you need to do the work, but in chair, hands on keyboard, no excuses. That's right. Fabulous. Tenacity. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. We appreciate you being here with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And where can people contact you? How can they contact you? Well, I, first of all, thank you for having me. This was lovely. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it so much. I was really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find me on the website is SusanMallory.com on Facebook, Susan Mallory, Mallory with an E, and we're pretty active there. And then, yeah, those are the best places and come do the, because we do a lot of reader stuff. Readers help me name things. And if I pick Mm -hmm. your suggestion for naming a business or whatever, I put your last name in the book 
Um, so it's fun. People get to own a piece of it, which I think is great. And I don't have to come up with those charming names all the time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> thank you. My heart is full. I mean, it's just, wow. Thank you. Kathy, you want to say anything? Before I um, it's, this has been wonderful. You've just done a great job of uh, inspiring. And we so appreciate your transparency and uh, motivating all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheryl, be sure to share the prompt. Okay, next week's prompt, 75 words or less, dialogue. Do you really think we should be doing this? Is the sentence to start with. (laughs) I can't wait. Okay. (laughs) That's going to be fun. (laughs) Okay, thanks a lot. And I'll turn it back over to you, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here and making this another amazing episode of special thank you to Susan Mallory, and that's M-A-L-L-E-R-Y, Susan Mallory. You can find her at her website, SusanMallory.com, and you can find her on NLS and Bard, and you can find her on Amazon, Audible, everywhere where wonderful books are sold. We know you will enjoy her work. This has been just such an inspiring episode Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes, resources, and previous episodes. You'll also find many opportunities to write and participate in Writing Works Wonders events. All opportunities to participate are found under the Contact Us page. Above all else, we want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonder of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Does anyone want to read the response to their prompt? Caddy Wumpus, Caddy Wumpus, Caddy Wumpus. <laughs> My it's cat just fun to say. We can to. say it I know. times. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. My cat, he wants us. And Marlene. Marlene. Of course I want to read my Caddy Wumpus prompt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, this prompt started off as a six-sentence story in my writer's group, expanded to a 12-line poem in Writing Works Wonders, and became a longer story yet. So, here we go. This is Crime Scene by Marlene Missot. At the verge of the crime scene, the detective stood. He paused a moment to put up his parka's hood. Freezing rain pelted down upon the nearly frozen ground. He could see the body sprawled cattywampus. Around it, no clues taunted pompous. Other police officers were at work. Their duties they did not shirk. Photographing evidence gathering hastily they worked searching for any clue they all wished to escape the falling icy dew the end thank you and next up we have pam johnson hello there hello there how are you guys hey pam okay Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, good program. I went to read my response. (laughs) Um, Okay. 
Um, well, I thought to myself I'd like to find the cattywampus or even find out what it is. First thing I did was go to the dictionary. Well, there was cats, there was catastrophe, but no cattywampus. So then I decided, hmm, I think I'm going to ask all my friends, which I did. They had the foggiest idea. Then I went down to the lake. I strolled along the beautiful brushes. I looked for that thing, cattywampus. I sat down and thought to myself, hmm, I wonder what or where or who it was. These little kids were along the lake. They played and just threw bread to all the ducklings in there. And then one came over to me and said, hello. And I said, hi. And they said, what do you want? Are you here just for fun? And I said, yeah, but I'm looking for a cattywampus. Do you know where one is? And the kid said, nah. And I said, well, gee, if you find one, let me know. And then I went into the forest, not too far away, picked pine cones off the ground, picked pine needles off the ground, but still no cattywampus. Then I went back to the lake and sat down as the sun set over the beautiful lake. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder, I just wonder if a cattywampus is just something that you're looking for. And even though you don't know what, maybe that's half the fun of it. The end. <laughs> Thanks, Pam. Mm-hmm. And you said yeah. Diane? Okay. Yeah, Diane. Dan Landy. Well, I just had a comment. I I wanted to thank all of you in charge of this program because the prompts are are so important and wonderful. And I uh, I have one that you gave out a long long time ago about hot air balloons. Am I right? Yeah. Through this. Mm-hmm. So I had started a story on that. It was originally called Balloons Are for Babies, but I've been developing it and developing it. And it is now a picture book called um, Now That Grandpa's Gone. And I am loving it. And I'm just so grateful to you because this is a story that never would have come to be without your inspiration. And so um, I just wanted to say the power of these prompts are wonderful. I'm going to send this to my critique group this mm-hmm. week. And maybe I I guess I should share it too, maybe on the line here. Because I would love to get feedback on it. Um, I would love to. I know myself. I would love to read it. And I believe Kathy would too. So thank you. Oh, okay. I'll yeah, post it on Behind to. Our Eyes if I can that's figure a, that's out how to good, do that. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Diane. yeah, so thank you so much. I just, I, what you're doing it's is a, yeah. just wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. It's amazing how one thing can create a story, you know, one idea, yeah. you know, it was it's the seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was the seed, and now, yeah. you know, who, know, who yeah. knows what will happen with it. I'd That's, love to get it published yeah. someday, but oh, I'm sure great. it needs a little work yet, but uh-huh. I'm, uh, really enjoyed the process. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. 
Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.